Well, good morning. Um, we weren't here last Sunday. We were down in uh, L.A. last Sunday. Um, but we flew up on Monday. We were supposed to be over in Burnaby on Wednesday. But apparently uh, that's when the snow started. And so uh, Pastor Turner had to cancel on us because he said nobody was going to be able to make it to church. Um, but uh, it was a fine drive up here. We came up uh, yesterday from Portland. My wife has some uh, brothers that live down there, so she was able to see them. Um, Lord willing, we'll be uh, finishing our deputation this coming March. We're currently at about 90% of our uh, needed support. Um, I guess I should introduce where we're going to. If you haven't seen our table out here in the foyer, we're, uh, my name's Taylor Norris, and we're, um, I have my family with me, my uh, wife Lauren, and then we have three children. Our oldest son, Deacon, is five, and then we have our daughter, Eden, she's three, and then we have our youngest son, Enoch, he'll be one on the 29th of this month. And God has called us to go to, as missionaries to the country of Mozambique, Africa, and um, Trying to think, uh, Brother Taylor. What are we? We're showing the video tonight, correct? Or, okay. So we'll uh, we'll show our presentation video tonight. So if you don't know much about Mozambique and you want to know a little more, please come back tonight. Um, we'll uh, see the video, talk a little bit more about the mission field. It's a mission field that's very needy, as most mission fields are. Um, but obviously, God has given me a burden for that country, so. I think that there's a little more need in that country than uh, some other ones. But anyways, um, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to look in two places. Uh, we're going to look in the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jonah. And then also we'll look in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, as well as Acts chapter 8. Still here a few pages turning, I'll wait a few more minutes and then I'll begin reading. We'll start in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, it says there, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. And then if you look over in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. I'm going to open a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you and I thank you for this opportunity that we have to open your word and to hear from you. pray that you would uh, just meet with us right now, that you would fill me with your spirit, that you would just use me, that you would speak through me to your people here this morning, that we might learn something of you. I pray for open hearts and open ears, and I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're, we're going to be looking at these two men. Um, not too much different from each other. Uh, well, obviously, Jonah was an Old Testament prophet. But when we find Jonah here, uh, it's an interesting story. I'm sure everybody here is familiar with the story of Jonah. If you've spent any time in church growing up or even within the last couple years, I'm sure that you've probably heard a message on Jonah or you at least know the story of Jonah. 
Jonah obviously was an Old Testament prophet. If you're, you're reading earlier in the Old Testament and you're going through the book of Kings, you'll find uh, a couple verses in there that talk about Jonah, how God called Jonah to prophesy against the northern kingdom of Israel. So when we find Jonah here, this isn't like God is coming to somebody that he's never used. He didn't just randomly say, okay, you. No, God had used Jonah before. And he comes to him and he calls him and tells him that he wants to go to, go to Nineveh. And we know the story. If you look back in verse 3, it says, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, often as I've been reading this portion of Scripture before in the past, I have to stop and ask myself the question, why? Why is it that this man of God that God had used in prior times, when God comes to him at this point, he does the exact opposite of what God tells him to do? In fact, it's, it's not that he's just trying to disobey God. There in verse 3 it says, and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah, for some reason, thought that he could hide himself from God. If you're reading in Psalm 139, we, we, we find the psalmist there as, as he's writing, it talks about how it doesn't matter where you go that God is always there. You can go to the highest mountain and God is there. You can go to the lowest part of the sea and God is there. And yet for some reason, Jonah thinks in his mind that if he just goes the opposite direction of where God has called him, that he can hide from God. And it makes you wonder why. Why is it that this man of God would decide in and of himself that he's going to directly disobey God, but he's also going to try and hide himself from God? As we're sitting here pondering this, Jonah was no different than anybody here this morning. Just because he's in the Bible doesn't make him of more importance than anybody sitting here. Just because he was, had the title prophet doesn't make him of any more importance than anybody sitting here. Because everybody here this morning has one thing in common with Jonah. And that's the fact that we were all born into sin. For as by one man sin entered in the world, and so death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Jonah had a sin nature just like you. Just like me. I know there are times in my life that God has called me to do things. Whether that was to maybe go talk to somebody about Him. Maybe it was to go hand somebody a track. And I know that there have been times that when I felt the urging of the Spirit of the Lord to go do such a thing, that I decided that I didn't want to do it at that point. That I, 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 I had too much stuff that I needed to do and I just couldn't do it right then. We see between these two men, we'll look over at Philip real quick in Acts chapter 8. We read verse 26 where it says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way which goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. 
Now, if you read the first part of Acts chapter 8, we won't read it for sake of time, but a great revival breaks out in the city of Samaria, and, and Philip is being used as an instrument of God to preach. People are saved. Miracles are happening. And then all of a sudden, God tells Philip, hey, I want you to go to the desert. He doesn't tell him the reason why. He just says, I want you to go down into the desert. He could have started complaining, God, look at all the great things that are going on. This is amazing. I don't want to leave this. But we see in verse 27, it says, he arose and went. These two men are are very similar in the fact that they're both men of God. They've both been used by God prior to where we started reading in the two verses of Scripture. And they both have been given a command by God. Jonah was given a command by God to go to Nineveh. Philip was given a command by God to go down into the desert. But just as I said, Jonah's no different than anybody here. Philip is the same. He's no different than anybody here this morning. We're all human flesh that is born with a sin nature. And did you know that this morning that you as a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, have been given a command just like Jonah was given a command and just like Philip was given a command. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, it said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The verse is talking about living your life in such a manner that when people look at you, that they see Christ reflecting off your life, that they say that there's there's something different about that person. The end of Matthew in chapter 28 and verse 19 or 18 through 20, I'm sure you're very familiar with it. the, The Great Commission, how God has told us that we need to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, where we go from our Jerusalem to our Judea to our Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Just like Jonah and Philip were given a command, and as we have seen so far, Jonah decided he was going to disobey God, but Philip decided he was going to obey God. The question this morning is, is what are you going to do with the command that God has placed on your life? Are you going to take the path of Jonah and disobey God, or are you going to take the path of Philip? We, we know the story of Jonah and how he, he goes and he gets on the ship. And the amazing part is, is the attitude that Jonah has. God sends a storm and they're in a great storm. And while, while the captain of the ship and the mariners that are on that ship are frantically trying to make sure that their boat doesn't sink, where do we find Jonah? He's in the bottom of the ship taking a nap. When the captain goes down there, he, he, he asks him, you know, what are you doing? You know, we're, we're about to die. Get up here, pray to your God. And, and Jonah just casually, well, I know what, what, why this is all happening. Because I'm running from God. Like, he, he's just flipping about it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, I'm running from God. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I wouldn't be just going around to everybody if I wasn't right with God and be like, hey, you know. I'm not right with God right now. It's almost like he's proud about it. And they go through the process. He tells them, just throw me overboard. At first, they don't want to. They try everything else, and then it gets to a point where they throw him overboard, and we know the, 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 the story as it continues that God prepares a great fish, or 
as uh, Christ called it in the book of Matthew, a whale to swallow Jonah. And he's in that belly of that whale, obviously, for three days and three nights. Have you ever stopped to think what that must have been like? What it must have been like to make a reservation in hotel whale for three days and three nights. I don't think it was very pleasant. I think there's a reason that it didn't take Jonah very long to start praying that God would deliver him. I remember reading a story uh, a while back about a, a whaling team back when whaling was legal. Uh, you know, they were out whaling and they put down one of their longboats to go out and harpoon the whale. This was before they had the, 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 the mechanized harpoons on the front of the ships back when they had to do it themselves. And they were getting close to the whale and they were about to harpoon it, but its tail hit the boat and one of the men fought, fell overboard and in the process he was actually swallowed by the whale. They were able to finally harpoon the whale, get it up onto the boat. If I remember correctly, the man was only in the belly of the whale for maybe about an hour. I don't even remember if it was an hour or not. But when they cut the whale open, he was still alive. And they said that for the rest of that man's life, that he was disfigured. And he was only in there for about an hour. Imagine what Jonah looked like when he came out of the whale three days later. And then in, in Jonah in chapter 3, you look at the beginning of that chapter. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. See, God's mind didn't change at all. He knew that the people of Nineveh still needed somebody to go and preach to them the fact that if they didn't get right with God, that destruction was coming. For Jonah, it just took him a little bit longer because of his disobedience. If you read through Jonah chapter 3, he goes, he preaches in the city. That must have been a sight. This man that probably looked not much like a normal person. Who knows what his clothes looked like? Who knows, even if he cleaned himself up, he may have still had, you know, whale stuff all over him. Who knows? God didn't say take a bath and then go. He said go. And he goes in the city, he's preaching. And he's preaching in the street and it eventually gets to the king. And the king believes what has been said by Jonah. So he declares that throughout the entire city, that everybody fasts, that nobody drinks water, nobody eats food, and they put sackcloth and ash on. And he even goes a step further and says, make sure that the animals don't even eat or drink. Because he wants to make sure that everybody gets right with God and the destruction doesn't come to that city. The amazing part is this portion of the story is that even though Jonah obeyed God the second time that God called him to go, he still didn't have a good attitude about it. You say, well, well, how do you know he didn't have a good attitude? If you look at the end of Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Jonah chapter 4 and verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. 
Jonah was angry about the fact that God turned from the destruction that he said he was going to do because he saw the repentance of these people. The whole entire time, Jonah wanted to see Nineveh destroyed. Now, why is that? Why is it that, that, that somebody, a man of God, would want to see an entire city, a, a huge city, it's described as three days' journey across the entire city walking? Why is it that he would want to see that city destroyed? Well, maybe it was because of the fact that it wasn't a city of Israel. It wasn't populated with Jewish people. It could have been the fact that he had allowed animosity and hate to build up in his heart. Well, why would, why would, where would this animosity and hate have come from? If you look into the historical background of the prophet of Jonah, he prophesied in Israel, the northern kingdom, at a time when the Assyrians would make raids into Israel, would capture Jewish people and take them back and put them into slavery and servitude for the Assyrians. Now, I don't know if, if maybe Jonah had some friends or family or if he was just upset about the fact that they were um, taking the, the, Israel, the Israelites and putting them into slavery or not, but there's a possibility that Jonah had allowed hate and animosity to build up in his heart. How dare those people do that? They don't deserve God. They don't deserve to, to have the, the grace of God on them. I want to see them destroyed. We don't know the, the full context behind that, that issue because the Bible doesn't go into that. But as I said earlier, Jonah's no different than us. And how many times have we come up with some kind of excuse or allowed something to, to get in the way, whether it's pride or whether it's fear or whether it's, it's some other kind of emotion that when God says, hey, I want you to go do something, that we allow that to get in the way and we end up like Jonah where we disobey God and, and we allow hate to build up in our heart And Jonah still has this issue at the beginning of chapter 4 and verse 1. And it displeased Jonah, and he was very angry. You know, that can be the story of your life, or it can be something closer to that of Philip's. We read verse 26 of Acts chapter 8, and we started verse 27. It says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, and eunuch, of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. I want you to think about what we just read. God takes Jonah, I mean, excuse me, Philip, from the city of Samaria, sends him to the desert, I don't know about you, but I don't particularly care for the desert. My family, we lived down in California in the Mojave Desert for about three years. And during that time, you know, living in the desert, it's hot. You don't want to go outside very much. In fact, last year, um, when my family was traveling back to California, that's where our ascending church is, we, we crossed over into the Mojave Desert at 10 o'clock at night. And crossing into the desert at 10 o'clock at night, 
I mean, when it, when it becomes night, everything starts cooling off. That's just kind of common knowledge. But as you cross into the desert, it was still 103 degrees at 10 o'clock at night. Desert's not a fun place. Philip could have started complaining about, God, I don't want to go to the desert. It's hot. I don't like the desert. There's not water. There's not a lot of shade. Or as we continue into the story, we, we see that he sees this man over here, and he's riding along in his chariot, and God says, go get yourself in that chariot. I want you to think about that in today's context. It'd be, though, as if, per se, Justin Trudeau came to Surrey, and he was driving down the road out here, and he stopped at the stoplight, and God said, go get in Justin Trudeau's car. What do you think would happen? If you went and tried, without being invited, to jump in the car of the prime minister, what would happen? There's no chance. You'd probably end up in prison. Who knows what else would happen? But this is the situation that Philip's in. If you read verse 27, it says, This man was of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and had the charge of all her treasure. And God says, go get in his chariot. He could have started saying, um, God, did, do you see his bodyguards there? Do you, do you see the soldiers that he has? If I go and try and get in his chariot, what's going to happen to me? But the one thing that Philip realized that apparently Jonah didn't is that when God gives a command, he's going to provide a way for you to obey that command and to see it through. We continue on. and We saw there in verse 28, it says, he was sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Philip had no idea that this man was sitting in his chariot and he was reading the word of God. And the reason that God sent Philip is because this man didn't understand what he was reading. He, he was obviously searching for God because he had gone to Jerusalem for to worship. He was some kind of a religious man who obviously felt the void inside him that only Christ can fill. And so God was sending Philip to this man so that he could better help him understand the Word of God. Verse 30, it says, And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? You understand what you're reading? Verse 31, it says, And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. I wonder how many times we've come across situations like this where you feel the Spirit of God saying, Go talk to that person. Go witness to them. Go give them a track. You say, well, well, well I can't right now. I'm busy. I, I, I have to be somewhere. Or maybe it's, I really don't like talking to people. Um, can't, you, can't you ask somebody else to go talk to them? If Philip would have had the attitude of Jonah, that chariot would have kept on going by. And there's a very high possibility that man would have, for the rest of his life, been trying to figure out exactly what the Word of God was saying. Because we know from the book of Romans that it says that the preaching of the cross is as foolishness unto them that are lost. You see, people that don't know Christ, people that don't have the Spirit of God living in them, the Bible is foolishness. It makes no sense. Why would the Almighty God who created heaven and earth, if there is such a thing, would come and die for His creation? It doesn't make sense to those who are lost. And if Philip would not have obeyed God, 
there's a high possibility that this Ethiopian eunuch would have never been saved. If you go down to verse 35 of Romans chapter 8, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture to preach unto him Jesus. He read the portion of Scripture in Isaiah talking about how Christ went as a lamb before his shearers as dumb and offered himself up as a sacrifice. And it's as simple as what Philip did in verse 35. You don't have to have the title of pastor. You don't have to have the title of being a deacon or a Sunday school teacher. You don't have to have gone to a Bible college and graduated It's as simple as telling the lost sinner who Christ is and how He had an impact and changed your life. Because you know what? Think back to the time when you were lost in your sin. Think back to that time that you were far off from God and because somebody told you about Christ, you were brought nigh by the blood of Christ. And you now have a home in heaven. I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but it's said that telling somebody about Christ is like one homeless man telling another homeless man where he can get free bread. The question this morning is, is we know we have a command from God as Christians to tell the lost who He is. We know we have a command from God to be a witness to the lost around us. Are you being Jonah and disobeying and going the opposite direction and all all these problems are going on in your life and you're asking yourself, well, why do I have all these problems in life? Have you stopped and thought about the fact that maybe it's because you aren't doing what God asked you to do? Or we could be like Philip. He just obeyed God and God kept one step ahead of him providing a way for him to obey. Verse 35, we see where he preaches unto him Jesus. It goes down in verse 36. It says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. That eunuch was gloriously saved that day. Ethiopian tradition in the country says that that man went back to Ethiopia and he started witnessing to his friends and family and a church in Ethiopia was founded. Ethiopia claims to be one of the, the, the oldest Christian countries in the world. I don't know how much there is truth to that, but it's interesting that they have that tradition seeing that Philip witnessed to this Ethiopian eunuch as he was on his way back home And they say he went and started winning other people for Christ. One last thing, we'll we'll look at the lives of these two men as we end the story. Back in Jonah chapter 4, we saw at the beginning of of chapter 4 and verse 1 that Jonah was exceedingly angry. And if you pick up in verse 9, it says, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Jonah had left Nineveh and he went to the hillside that overlooked the city and he sat down. And in all intents and purposes, he wanted to see Sodom and Gomorrah 2.0. He wanted to see God rain down fire and brimstone 
and level the city. And while he was sitting there, God decided he was going to give him a little lesson. He allows a gourd to grow that gives him shade during the, the day when it was hot. And during the night, he allows a, a worm to come and eat that gourd. And then in the morning, it's withered up, and it says that the east wind comes and blows it away. And Jonah's sitting there, and he's already angry and stewing, and then he's getting hot, and his shade is gone, and he's getting even more angry. God asks him, dost thou well to be angry for the gourd? Because he's trying to show Jonah that God is in control of everything. I don't know about you, but I've never seen any kind of plant, especially a, a gourd, grow up to be able to cover a full-grown man in one day. That was of God. And then that same night, a worm comes, eats it, and it's gone. God was trying to show Jonah that God is in control of everything. Because apparently Jonah didn't get that clue when God had the whale swallow him. And then when God commanded the whale to spit him up onto the seashore. And Jonah's sitting there angry. And I want you to think about something there in verse 9 at the end of it. Jonah responds to God and it says, And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Have you ever thought about the fact that these are the last recorded words of Jonah? Other than in the New Testament when Christ mentions Jonah and the time that he spent three days and three nights, that that was a, a prophecy that was foreshadowing how Christ would spend three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. These are the last recorded words of Jonah. This is the last thing that we see of Jonah in the Bible. Could you imagine if that was the last thing that anybody knew about you? Hey, uh, did you know so-and-so? Hmm. Did I know so-and-so? I didn't like being around them. They were angry all the time. They were bitter. They are just a horrible person to be around. This is the situation Jonah is in. I do well to be angry even unto death. I, I'm right in my disobedience. Could you imagine if that's what they put on your tombstone? So-and-so, date of birth, date of death, angry unto death. That could be the outcome of your life like Jonah, or we can see the end of the story over here in Acts chapter 8 with Philip. We saw in verse 38 where, where the eunuchs baptized, and in verse 39 it says, and when, they came, and when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way, rejoicing. The amazing part was is that this eunuch was more excited about the fact that he had just received salvation from his sins, that he had a home in heaven, that it didn't even bother him that God did a miracle in verse 39. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. Philip was there one minute and he was gone the next. We see in verse 40 that it says, and Philip was founded as a toss. And he went about preaching throughout that area. The eunuch didn't start thinking, whoa, 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 what happened? That guy was here and then he's gone. No, it says right there at the end of the verse, and he went on his way rejoicing. I would rather that be the outcome of my life that when I'm dead and gone, people ask, hey, did you know 
Taylor Norris. People say, yeah, he would, he, I just like being around him. There was always this joy. There was always rejoicing. I'd rather that be said at my funeral, put on my tombstone, that I caused rejoicing in the lives of others. And obviously, it's not because Philip was some great person. And obviously, it's not because I would be some great person. It's because Philip decided that he was going to obey God regardless of the outcome. Jonah had a command from God. Go to Nineveh. We see throughout that entire book of Jonah that Jonah doesn't want to. Trying to hide from God. He's happy about the fact that that he disobeyed God. He's angry at the end. I wouldn't want that outcome. I don't know about you, but I would rather have the outcome of Philip. Philip faced just as many obstacles as Jonah did. I, I, I don't think that he would want to leave Samaria when a revival's happening and miracles are going on. But he chose to obey God. There might have been some fear when God said, go get in that chariot, not knowing what was going to happen. He was going to go towards that chariot, whether he was going to be able to make it or not. But God provided a way. And we see the eunuch leave Philip, going on his way, rejoicing. This morning, as we think about the fact of God's call on us as Christians to be witnesses to the people who are around us, how are we accomplishing that? Are we obeying God? Are we putting forth our best effort to be obedient to God? Are we making up excuses and, and, and so many other things, allowing things to get in our way of obeying God? You're the only one that can make the decision whether to obey or disobey God. Nobody forced Jonah to disobey. Nobody forced Philip to obey. It was a personal choice, just like each and every one of us here this morning have. Are you a Jonah or are you a Philip this morning? You're the only one who knows. Thank you, brother, for the the challenge. Boy, the, the prophet Jonah has always been an interesting study. Um, God still used him, even though he didn't want to be used. And when God's will will be done, it, it will be done. Nothing we do can stop it. Uh, it's just best to ride along with what the Lord wants. The blessings are so much greater. Imagine if Jonah had just willingly gave himself to the Lord. How much happier, how much more exciting there might have been a few more chapters written about Jonah, or maybe a few less, because there wouldn't be all these other details about him. But it's just amazing how the Lord uh, was the, the two contrasts between Philip and Jonah, and I really appreciated the, the message.
this morning. Looking forward to hearing our missionary tonight as well as uh, they'll be back later. Um, I forgot to give one announcement, and that was your, um, if you ordered a book for our curriculum that we're doing here at Sunday School and you haven't paid for it yet, we still have the, the books and the devotions, so you can see Mrs. Lydia uh, afterwards or sometime today, and you can get that payment uh, all paid for, and uh, we'll get ourselves ready as we continue next week with our curriculum on, um, we're continuing on creation is where we're at right now. But at this time, if we could uh, prepare for the offering, and as soon as the offering is finished, uh, we'll be done a couple minutes earlier than normal, but it's just about right on time, I think. So if we can get uh, so a couple guys to come up for the offering. Say a quick prayer, and then we will um, pray to the offering. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for this morning. Thank you so much for our missionary being here. Thank you for Jonah. Though he didn't wasn't necessarily a role model, per se, for any of us, but I, I'm thankful that his account was written in Scripture. That we can learn. I'm thankful for Philip and his positive attitude and just going out and serving you. And God, I pray that you would just, I pray that you would help us today to see the difference and it's interesting, today, Ethiopia, there, there still is Christians in Ethiopia, but uh, where is Nineveh today? Perhaps the attitude of the preacher had an impact on the future of its generation. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have an impact on our generation today. Lord, bless this offering. I pray that you'd uh, help us to give willingly and with a good spirit, and uh, use us for your honor and glory. We pray in your name. Amen. All right. As soon as the offering plate passes your aisle, you are dismissed. See you at 11.
We are Chua family. Uh, I am Aguilar the Chua.
Grace Baptist Church. Let's all stand as we sing our first hymn this morning, hymn number 433, hymn number 433, Since I Have Been Redeemed. We will be singing verse 1 with all our hearts and with all our voice. I have a song I love to sing.
Hello, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. God bless you for coming today. That little piece the choir just sang is our theme this month. January is consecration month, and we're starting, of course, a new theme for the whole year, the gospel, publicly and from house to house. How can we do that if we're not consecrated to the Lord? Amen. And so it's very important that we uh, give ourselves to God. Now, take your hymn book, if you wouldn't mind, and turn to hymn number 39. In just a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing verse 3 of, of hymn number 39, Take My Life and Let It Be. And uh, we've been sort of exploring the, the benefits of consecrating ourselves to the Lord. What are the benefits of that? Well, number one is it puts God in control. When God is in control, that's when good things happen. When God is in control, that's when great things happen. Number two, it offers the best protection in the world. Uh, You can get all of the alarm systems you want. You can get um, guards walking around your house with uh, sharp fang Dobermans, whatever you want. But the best protection in all the world is when God is in control. We need to do that daily, folks. If you want daily protection, if you want the best, you need to put him in control every day, not just one day out of the whole year. Uh, Now, today, I'd like to read for you out of Psalm 90, and I want you to see this tremendous benefit of putting the Lord first and uh, consecrating yourself to him. And this just makes sense. Listen to this in verse 12. Uh, Where to go? There it is. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Now, I think we, most of us know that verse and we believe it. Because it's very true. Uh, It's when God gives us wisdom that we're able to realize that we only got a few days left here on earth. And in a short time, shorter than we think, we're either going to go the natural way or some disease will help us along or Jesus will come back in the clouds and take us home. But one way or the other, we're not staying here in this world. We're leaving. We're going, be it today, next week, next year. We're not here for very long. And so it makes sense. It's wise for us to not days. It was a missionary C.T. Studd, Charles Studd, who wrote this poem. And this one little phrase out of the poem uh, became famous worldwide. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so the benefit, of course, is that it makes the most of your life. Your life is shorter now than it's ever been. (laughs) You don't have much life left. And I'm not trying to sound scary, but I'm trying to sound practical. Let's make the best use of whatever life we have left by consecrating ourselves to God and renewing that consecration today. Let's stand to our feet now. We'll sing verse number three. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. And then we'll have a word of prayer together and continue our service. Verse number three. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages for thee. Take my silver and my gold, not of my foot I withhold, not of my foot I 
Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful day and for allowing us to be together in your house once again. We love you so much, Lord, and we love the company of the saints. Boy, this is great. One day, it's going to be even better in heaven. Lord, help us to make the most of our lives, the most of this day, by simply giving ourselves to you once again for your honor and your glory. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us all to pray with seriousness and give ourselves to you and humble ourselves before you and to offer to you our love and our worship, our sacrifice of our lives. Father, to live for you. I pray the filling of your Holy Spirit upon every one of us, Lord. Keep us protected here today. Please don't let the devil grasp a hold of our minds and take it outside the building. We pray, Father, that you would please bless your people. We pray for those of our church family that can't be here today. And Lord, we pray for those that are sick. And we ask, Father, that you would please answer our prayers and bless the dear ones. And those that may be watching over the internet now, Lord, undertake for them too. Now have thine own way, please, Lord, in Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please turn and smile at someone, a big smile, and say, good to see you, God bless you. How are you? All that kind of good stuff. If you don't know, if you're not sure their name, just go ahead and ask. That's all right. They won't bite. Okay, if you'd like to find your seats once again, we're going to listen to the ministry of our choir.
Let's open our hymn book to hymn number two. When we see Christ. Hymn number two from our hymn book. Let's sing verse one. Of times the day seems long, our trials are to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon. like that make me want to go home to heaven boy praise the lord if you're visiting with us for the first time today we welcome you in the name of the lord and ask that you would uh, uh well i uh let's see what can we ask of you be blessed how about that hopefully one of our ushers have given you a little welcome package and in it is a small connection card if you do us the honor and fill that out uh, we'd like to send you a nice letter in the mail with a valuable coupon 
that you can redeem on your next visit. Also want to welcome Cassie's mom, dad, and sister here back visiting with us. God bless you, dear folk. We want to welcome also missionary Taylor Norris and his family. And we're going to be watching in just a moment um, uh, uh, all about the Mozambique. And uh, God's called these dear folks to minister and to serve and win souls in that uh, eastern uh, seaboard of Africa. And uh, that's where Mozambique is, just sort of kind of south of Malawi, right, Millie? Yeah. Millie, you ever been to Mozambique? Uh, To the border. border. Well, it's closer than I've been. But we're all going there in just a few minutes. Yeah, we can do that. By the way, speaking of missionaries, uh, all of you who are senior voting members, hopefully you would have gotten a little vote paper. We've got uh, two more missionaries to vote for here. And I don't know how this happened, but their applications somehow got lost and or delayed. But um, one of them put up the first missionary there, the Bolivas. Uh, Tony Bolowa, I I think it's a W, isn't it? We'll we'll figure that out. I think it's B-U-L-A-W-A. I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it's that. The Tony part is right. I know that. Oh, look at that. How does that happen? So, um, uh, Brother Bolowa is, um, has been a pastor for many years. He was here visiting our church not that long ago. And God has called him to work now with BIMI. BIMI is a missions group that uh, helps a lot of missionaries. Um, and we support a lot of BIMI missionaries. And so, uh, Brother Bolowa is part of the infrastructure to help these missionaries to get onto the field and answer questions and do a whole bunch of other things. And so he's a very important part of missions. And he was at our church not that long ago. And so uh, we think that he's a very worthy um, uh, missions cause. Also, we had uh, the Pearlsteins uh, to Seattle, Washington. And um, we caught up with them in uh, Tacoma. Some of us were down in Tacoma And lo and behold, they were wondering whatever happened because they sent in their paperwork. We never got it. So they thought we weren't interested and we thought they weren't interested. And lo and behold, it's Mr. Postman's fault. So um, these are dear folks uh, called to Seattle to get a church going there. And Seattle's a very needy and important city. And so uh, these folks are in need of support. So they were at our church again, not that long ago. And so... um, We want for you to uh, take a week and discuss and pray and vote. And so um, if you did, if you're a voting member of the church, you did not get one of these papers, please see Mrs. White after service. She'll give you one and cross your name off. If you don't know if you're a member of the church, ask her. She'll tell you if you're a member or not. She knows. And so uh, let's get that done. Um, Also want to thank everyone for praying for us. There was almost 40 of us that went down to Tacoma. The going down wasn't that bad. It was the coming back on late Tuesday night coming up the I-5. We ran into a blizzard and visibility was like 50, 75 feet ahead of the vehicle. But that didn't stop us. We plowed through anyhow. There's a lot of snow and cars off to one side and so on. But uh, Lord got us home safely. About two in the morning, mind you, but we got home safely. Praise the Lord. Want to thank you so much for that. Now, uh, without further ado, Let's go visit uh, the Mozambique. We all set? You have that ready? Sound up? Okay, sit back. Let's go.
On the southeast coast of the dark continent known as Africa, just across from the island of Madagascar, is the country of Mozambique. A country that just over 20 years ago ended a 15 and a half year civil war that claimed over a million lives. Because of the long civil war, two thirds of the population of almost 25 million people are under the age of 24. Mozambique is very needy for the gospel of Christ. With many people following Catholicism, the cults, Islam are no religion at all. The truth does not abound. We are the Taylor Norris family, and God has called us to take the light of the gospel of Christ to the people of Mozambique. I was raised in a Christian home, but it was not until I was the age of 20 and in Bible college that I received Christ's payment for my sin. Once I was saved, I continued my Bible schooling at my home church's institute, where I later graduated. Since salvation, I have served in my local church in many ways, being a bus captain, teaching Sunday school, and leading kids' choirs. God called me to preach while at a summer youth camp. And on a missions trip to Zambia, Africa in 2012, God called me to missions. It was then in 2014 at a missions conference that God laid Mozambique on my heart. My wife, Lauren, was also raised in a Christian home and at the age of 12 was saved at a family camp. When she was 14, her family moved to Argentina to be missionaries and it was on a furlough around the age of 18 that she came home. We met, were soon married, and has since served alongside me in the ministry. After learning the Portuguese language in Portugal, with God's leading, we will begin work in Mozambique and the northern city of Tet, where there is no independent Baptist missionary work. Mozambique is almost twice the size of California, making it a 25-hour drive from where we will be to the capital where most other missionaries are. Initially, we plan to establish relationships with local government officials and business owners to be able to share the gospel and make ourselves known around town. But the focal point of our ministry will be reaching the youth through outreach programs such as sports and Bible clubs. Once we have reached the young people, it will give us the opportunity to enter their homes and witness to their parents and families. With those that we have won to Christ, we will then begin discipleship and start a local New Testament church with the hopes of one day turning it over to mature Christian nationals. As God blesses and the ministry grows, we plan to spread the gospel across the northern regions of Mozambique and by God's grace, one day to other Portuguese-speaking countries across South Africa. Would you consider partnering with us through prayer and financial support as we endeavor to reach the people of Mozambique with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Wasn't that a nice movie? Amen. Mozambique is a very important um, mission field. And uh, the national language there is Portuguese, correct? And I think there was two countries in um, Africa, right? That five that speak Portuguese. Somehow I thought it was only two. Boy, from when I heard it till now, it's gained three. So there's five countries. All right. And uh, the Norris family are uh, BIMI missionaries. They go under the BIMI mission board. And so uh, I think it's a very worthy cause. Um, tonight, uh, Brother Norris will be preaching. We'll tell you more about that in a minute. 
Also, I want to uh, welcome Dawn home from her world travels. It's good to have you back, our dear sister. We prayed for you every day. God bless you. Brother Ellie, come and lead us in another song. Let's all stand as we sing hymn number 376. 376, I know who holds tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't Yeah. 
Our scripture text today comes to us from the second epistle of Peter and chapter number one. Okay, so that's um, once again our scripture reading today comes to us from the second epistle of Peter and chapter number one. And today we're going to be reading verse 16, 17, and verse 18. And we'll all read together, so let us begin. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, when we were with him in the holy mount. Amen. Let us now pause for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much for today, and we want to thank you once again for allowing us here into your house for another day of worshiping you and offering praise and honor and glory to your name. Lord, most of us, or maybe all of us, maybe would have been struggling with the weather this week and fighting snow, but Lord, you have reserved this wonderful, this wonderful day for us and we are able to move around. I think this might be the best of all the days this week. And Lord, it's Lord's Day and we really appreciate you looking out for us in this regard. Lord, we wouldn't want to be any place else today except in your house. So, Lord, we just want to pray that you'll just bless us and that you'll just be with us all, um, throughout our service today. Heavenly Father, we also want to ask your blessing upon the message today. We ask once more your blessing upon Pastor White as he comes forward to deliver this sermon to us. Lord, we pray that you'll just speak to each and every heart that is gathered here today. Lord, we pray that you'll just remember also our unsaved folks who might be gathered there. We pray that you will um, just speak to their hearts once again. Lord, and we pray that today might be the day when they will open their hearts and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, bless the special music. Bless our invitation. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Son, written there in crimson, you told me I'm forgiven. It is done, it is done. So if you never speak another word of blessing, and the silence leaves me with a sense of loss, I'll remember when my heart begins to question Any doubt that you love me Was settled at the cross 
would be the first to admit I don't deserve the kind of favor you have always shown. But you don't have to tell me you proved how much you love me, and I know I still blessing and the silence leaves me with a sense of loss I'll remember when my heart begins to question any doubt that you love me was settled at the cross every word was mercy of loss I'll remember when my heart begins to question any doubt that you love me was settled at the cross any doubt that you love me Thank you so much. That was absolutely beautiful. Open your Bible, if you would please, to the book of 2 Peter and chapter 1. I believe that Peter is exhorting the Christians to cling to the word of God here in chapter 1. Um, he uh, makes mention of it in verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. And these are God's promises in, in the Bible. And then he um, mentions about um, uh, increasing their faith and so on in the next several verses. Um, he talks about um, uh, making your calling and election sure um, in verse 10. And um, he says in verse 12, I'll not be uh, negligent to put you in remembrance of these things. Again, in reference to the word of God. Um, he talks about, as long as he's alive, verse 13, to remind them of these things. And um, verse 15, he'll endeavor that uh, ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance, the writing of, of scriptures through Peter. And then the portion that we read. And take note of verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount, and we're going to talk about that. And then, boom, 19, 20, 21, deal solidly with the word of God and our need for the Bible. Folks, we need the Bible. You take the Bible from us, I don't think we've got a church. You take the Bible from us, I don't believe we have a faith. We surely don't have a hope. 
The Bible is God's written word for us and it doesn't change. Hallelujah. And we've got the word of God. We got every word that God wants us to have. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We got it. We've got it in print. And it's our joy and our privilege to be able to open the word of God every day and to let it get into our heart, into our soul, into our spirit. We always encourage people to read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. Why? Because it'll bring you to a knowledge of the truth. Thy word is truth and the truth shall make you free. Very important. If you're not reading the Bible, you're not eating, you're not consuming the spiritual manna, the heavenly food God has for you and for me. And if you go a long time without eating, you know what can happen. Bye-bye. Today, we're going to deal with this phrase here in verse 18, the Holy Mount. We're going to talk about that. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the Bible. Now, this portion in particular is our, our meat and potatoes today. And we ask that you would please feed us, have the Holy Spirit apply this precious sacred word to our hearts. Father, we pray for those today that may have uh, troubles and the problems that they're experiencing. And we ask that through the word of God today, that you would give them hope and strength and answers to their troubling situations. We pray for those that may feel all alone. We pray for those that may feel somewhat in despair. And Father, we ask that through the scriptures today, the preaching of the word of God, you would give them hope and light at the end of the tunnel and warmth and comfort. Oh, our heavenly father, speak to us today in Jesus name. Amen. I'd like to talk with you about this expression, the holy mount. Now, when a mountain has no name, it's referred to as just a mountain. But when they give it a name, then they call it Mount. For example, Mount Zion, Mount Sinai, the Mount of Olives or Mount Olivet. You get the idea? Peter refers to a holy mount. We know what he's talking about. It's what we know as the Mount of Transfiguration. And it's spoken of in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The question is, where is this mountain? He doesn't give it a name. Can we locate it? Well, the Mount of Transfiguration is never clearly identified in the Bible. However, there are two mountains that are considered as possibilities. And I have them for you here. The first one is located about 11 miles west of the Sea of Galilee. Let me get my handy dandy little pointer here. There's the Sea of Galilee up there. See, there's Jerusalem down here, all the way up here, somewhere outside of Nazareth, I guess. And that little guy right there, I got this off Google. So uh, that is uh, the first one called Mount Tabor, T-A-B-O-R, Mount Tabor. Now, I have a picture of it. There we go. Mount Tabor. Welcome to Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor, um, the earliest traditions tend to identify Mount Tabor as the Mount of Transfiguration. It is a little less than 2,000 feet 
in elevation. It stands all alone there. Pretty hard to miss that one. And um, on the very top of it, there's a Roman Catholic church built. If you were to climb Mount Tabor, it would take you less than two hours, considering that you know you can climb up a mountain. I mean, if you're in a wheelchair, it's going to take you a whole lot longer, okay? But for the average person, it would take you less than two hours to get to the top. And I'm sure many people could do that in an hour. Something like the grouse grind, I suppose. Now, the second uh, possible mount of transfiguration is located 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee, 40 miles north, ta-da, right up there. This is called Mount Hermon, H-E-R-M-O-N, Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon is much higher than Mount Tabor. In fact, it's uh, close to five times as high. It's over, well over 9,000 feet in elevation. And... um, It appears to be where the previous events in Matthew 16, because it's Matthew 17, where you have the Mount of Transfiguration. So you have some previous events that happened in that area in Matthew 16. And uh, I have for you a photo of Mount Hermon. And uh, that's it right there. That's the top of Mount Hermon. So it's about 9,000 feet up there. Okay. And standing on the top, that's not me, by the way. Standing on the top, you can see the clouds and so on. Mount Hermon, on the top of Mount Hermon, by the way, is the only place in Israel with snow. And so every year, uh, lots of Israelis go up to the top of Mount Hermon. And it's very expensive. But that's the only opportunity they have for snow. Ha! They should live here in Surrey, shouldn't they? Aren't you glad you don't live in Newfoundland right now? Wow. Have you seen some of the pictures? Man, you can't see Newfoundland. There's so much snow. Well, Surrey's bad enough, right? Now we got about nine days or 40 days and 40 nights of rain coming or something like that. We got a lot of rain to wash away all our snow. I hope you took a picture of it. But back here to Mount Hermon. Um, To climb Mount Hermon, it would take you more like eight hours to climb up Mount Hermon rather than less than two or one, something like that. Now, personally, myself, I kind of think that Mount Hermon is the proper Mount of Transfiguration. You say, why is that? A couple of reasons. Number one, in Mark chapter nine, verse two, it's called a high mountain. The Mount of Transfiguration is called a high mountain. And I'm sorry, but Mount Tabor doesn't seem to me to be a high mountain. And uh, number two, second reason, in Luke chapter 9, verse 32, it says that at the top, the disciples were all very sleepy. Now, I'm only guessing, but I think that it's because of that eight-hour hike to the top of the mountain as to what made them so sleepy. But I must be honest, in the final analysis, we simply do not know for sure which is the proper Mount of Transfiguration. It could be Tabor, it could be Hermon, or it might be another one, possibly, who knows. You can put that away while we turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 9. So let's take a look at this actual happening that Peter refers to in Luke chapter 9. As I mentioned, it's uh, told of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But we'll just look at the passage in Luke chapter 9. And we'll start in verse 28. Follow along with me. 
as I read. And it came to pass about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. We're on verse 29, Luke chapter 9. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease. That would be his death on the cross, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. Not knowing what he said. Pause there. Have you ever spoken and not known what you said? Hey, history repeats itself. Verse 34. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed them. And they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone. And they kept it close and told no man in those days of those things which they had seen. Well, there it is. The Mount of Transfiguration experience. What happened on the Mount of Transfiguration somewhat parallels what happened 1,500 years before this on Mount Sinai when Moses went up Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord And he came back with his face shining. You can read about that in Exodus 34. Only in this case, our Lord Jesus went up the mountain to meet. And he began to shine as he met with Moses and also Elijah. Think about it. What an awesome, unbelievable, fantastic experience this would have been to have with Almighty God. To have been there that day and to have seen those things. The Lord Jesus transfigured and Moses and Elijah. And then the voice of the father. I don't think Peter ever forgot those words for as long as he lived. What a fantastic thing to happen. In fact, I think it was so fantastic. If you go back to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want you to notice something. It's small. You may think it insignificant but I want to draw to your attention. This experience was so phenomenal in the life of Peter that watch what he does. In verse 18, Peter just doesn't say when we were with him in the Mount. What Peter does is he adds an adjective. What is that adjective that that Peter added to the Mount? Holy. Isn't that something? You know, the expression holy mount is only used two times in the entire Bible. Did you know that? The words holy mount. Now, holy hill is more, but the words holy mount, two times only. This is one of them right here. You can go home and look up the other one. But this is one right here. And I think that this experience that Peter had was so awesome that he adds the adjective holy to the name mount. It was that precious. It was that exciting an experience. Peter 
James and John all had one of the most unusual encounters with Almighty God that the entire experience became to them a holy experience. Are you following this? Hence, he calls it the Holy Mount. Peter had a Holy Mount experience with Jesus. In fact, I my opinion only, but I tend to think that all of the Christians back then knew the exact location of this mount. And that may be why Peter didn't even have to mention the name of the mount. That's a possibility. But let me ask you this question. You that are here today, have you ever had a holy mount experience at all ever in your Christian life? Have you ever had a holy mount experience? experience where you were so close to God. D.L. Moody, one of the greatest evangelists of the 19th century, had such an experience on the day that he was filled with the Holy Spirit back in 1871. Years later, he told the story to a church in Glasgow, Scotland. And I have recorded what he said, quote, I remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings. It was delightful to see them in the congregation. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression on their faces that they were praying for me. Pause right here. Every Sunday morning when I get up to preach, two of our church ladies excuse themselves from the auditorium and they go into my office. And all the while I'm preaching, they get down on their knees and they pray. And they're praying for us right now, for God's power. If you feel God speaking to your heart today, it's largely in part because of the prayers of the ladies that are praying for you and I right now. And here's D.L. Moody that was delighted when he began to preach. These two ladies were praying. At the close of the Sunday evening service, they would say to me, we've been praying for you, Mr. Moody. I said, why don't you pray for the people? They answered, because you need power. Me, I need power. I said to myself, why, I thought I had power. I had a large Sunday school and the longest, largest congregation in Chicago. There were some conversions at that time, and I was in a sense satisfied But right along, these two godly women kept praying for me and their earnest talk about being anointed for special service set me to thinking. I asked them to come and talk with me and we got together and got down on our knees. They poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing from the Holy Spirit and there came a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to pray as I never did before. Now listen, I must pause. This is not Pentecostalism. The Pentecostals only began around 1900. This is 30 years before that. This has nothing to do with the modern speaking in tongues and the modern manifestations of Pentecostalism. This is something that's biblical. The filling of the Holy Spirit spoken of very clearly several places in the Bible and the book of Ephesians as well. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. He continues. 
I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. The hunger increased. I was praying all the time that God would fill me with his Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me and I had such an experience of his love that I've asked him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths and yet hundreds were converted. I would now not be placed back where I was before that blessed experience. If you gave me all of Glasgow, that's the city in which he was speaking. It would be as the small dust of the balances. Isn't that something? Moody had many close experiences with God in his life, but this one was like a holy mount experience. Are you catching what I'm saying? This is important not to miss. All the great soul winners have been filled with the Holy Spirit, as have many wonderful Christians down through the years, and each one have had this type of holy mount experience where they got alone with God and God became so close and so real. Abraham had a holy mount experience with God when God called upon him to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Do you remember reading about that? There's a holy mount experience. Jacob had a holy mount experience with God first at Bethel with the vision of the ladder. And then later at Penuel, east of the Jordan River, in which he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. He had a holy mount experience. King David had several wonderful experiences with God, but there was a time when he got away from God and he sinned with Bathsheba. And it seemed that he lost all his closeness with God. And if I can use the expression church services for him, just became routine run of the mill. That's all that they did. He just felt miserable. Then came the day of his repentance and revival. And he prayed in Psalm 51 verse 12. He said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And he got his heart right with God again. And he experienced a holy mount experience of closeness with God. Once again, is it possible that someone is here today and their walk with God just seems like routine. Uh, why am I even doing this? I don't seem to get anything out of it. Oh, my beloved, listen. You can have a holy mount experience with God. Give me time, I'll explain how. The Apostle Paul, I believe, had several meetings with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was one time in particular that he describes as having been brought up to the third heaven where he saw and he heard things that he could never explain. He had no language to speak of. And it was after that, that he received a thorn in his flesh. Do you remember reading about this? It was the messenger of Satan. Why? To buffet him. Why? Lest he should be exalted with pride. And when you draw so ever so close to God, you too may require a thorn. The apostle John, who was up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, along with Peter and James, John even had another experience 
And it was when he was on the Isle of Patmos where he met the Lord Jesus Christ and he wrote the book of Revelation. I'll tell you something. That was a holy mount experience with God. I myself have experienced a couple of times where I felt so close to God that I was actually afraid to open my eyes for fear I might see him. I was afraid to reach out lest I should touch him. And these times in my life have been to me like a holy mount experience with the Lord. And I ask you this question, my brother, my sister, very pointedly, have you yourself ever had a holy mount experience with God Almighty? If not, why not? Are you aware that the book of James chapter four, verse two says, ye have not because ye ask not. Did you know that? And it's quite possible that there may be a Christian here today who's gone for months or years. Never having a holy mount experience with God and may who end up going the rest of their Christian life on earth, never having that which God offers. Ye have not. Because ye ask not. All right. Someone says, how do we get a holy mount experience? How can that be possible? Well, it usually comes through something painful, a painful experience, or a persevering experience. It tends to come through one of those two. A painful experience or a persevering experience. Now, interesting. The story of the prodigal son and his elder brother illustrate this perfectly for us. Are you familiar with the story of the prodigal son? Yes. Amen. And you remember his elder brother? Yes. Well, listen carefully. It's found in Luke chapter 15. But the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son was persistent. He was persistent in his sin. He went to his father and wanted his share of the inheritance. Why his father gave it to him, I don't know. But his father gave him the share of the inheritance. And in a short time after, he took his leave of home and he went off to Sin City. And there he spent it all. He blew it riotous living, wine, women, and song. He had it all for a short period of time. And then it was all gone. Then there arose a famine in the land and he was forced to find work. And the only work he could find, here's a young Jewish boy getting employment. Who knows? Maybe the very first job he ever had off the farm the only job he could get was feeding pigs. It's not a good job for a Jewish boy. And he was hungry. He was so hungry that the swill and the slop that the pigs would eat started looking appetizing to him. And it was sometime around then that he must have shaken himself and come to his senses. And he said, what am I doing? Even the servants in my father's home have plenty to eat. And here am I. I am the son. And I perish with hunger. I will arise 
and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned before you and before heaven, and I'm not worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy servants. And this young man, this prodigal son, who was so persistent in his sin, was now persistent in his repentance. And he persisted all the way home. He pressed his weary, worn out body all along the road. And his father, who'd been watching for him daily, recognized not the clothing he wore, but the way he walked. And when he realized that's his son, he ran to him and threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the young man said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His father says, stop right there. And calls to one of the servants and says, bring out a robe. Bring out shoes. Bring out a ring for him. Kill the fatted calf. Let us eat and be merry. You remember the story? Maybe there's someone here today who's been persistent in their sin, persistent in their backsliding. They've persistently ignored reading the Bible every day. They've persistently ignored following the Lord and the Lord's leading. Can I encourage you? Take a lesson, learn a lesson from the prodigal son and persist your way right back to Jesus today. You see, this young prodigal had a holy mount experience with the father. He did. It turned into a a wonderful reunion. He was only hoping to be made a servant, but he had shoes on his feet, a robe around his shoulders, a ring on his finger. He was reinstated. Now a banquet. And so that's one way in which you and I can find holy ground is through painful experience. But the second way, the second way is through a persevering. Well, let's say this. The prodigal son was persistent. That's for sure. But here's something about the elder brother. And you remember when the elder brother came toward the house and he heard all the merrymaking and he asks one of the servants, what is going on? And the servant explained to him, why it's your brother. He's, it's like he's come from the dead. There's a big party going on. And the elder brother would not go in the house. You remember this story? And so the father came out to his son, his oldest son. And he said, come, come in. And the elder brother, he said, no. He said, your son took all that money and blew it on riotous living. And me, I've been here on the farm serving you faithfully, consistently. You've never... Throwing a party for me. And the father said, son, everything I have is yours. But it was right that we should have a party because this was your brother. And he was dead and behold, he's alive again. So it was the right thing to do. But here's my point. The elder brother, he was consistent. He kept there on the farm. He kept doing his job. He kept doing everything that was expected, but he never had a party. He never asked for a party, did he? He never at one time went to his father and said, Father, would you throw a banquet for me? Can we have a banquet together? 
his father came out and said, everything I have is yours. That elder brother may be lost sight of the fact that all the riches that the father had were his. And he lost sight of that. And he could have asked for a party. He could have asked for closeness. And he never did. And my point is simply that there are Christians going through the motions. Maybe they even read a little Bible and pray every day. And they pray before their meals. And they come to church services. They put in their offerings. And yet they never have a Holy Mount experience. They never find holy ground. Why? Ye have not because ye ask not. Isn't that interesting? Some Christians are badly backslidden and need revival. They persistently press their way in close with the heavenly father and they'll find revival and they'll find holy ground. Other Christians are more consistent. They come to church regularly, but they never ask God to lead them up the holy mountain. You know, I think this is why Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount that if we will hunger and thirst after righteousness, we shall be what? Say it. Filled. We shall be filled. That means like to gorge yourself. Filled to overflowing. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. These are the ones that are asking. These are the ones that are pressing in close to God. These are the ones that are following after Jesus. Wherever he goes, I want to be. And I think some of the disciples were this way. The psalmist David said in Psalm 42 verse 1, as the heart, that's like a type of deer, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Christian, your heart, do you pant after God day by day? Do you have a desire, a hunger and thirst to be near him and to know him? Because if you do, you will find holy ground. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. These are the ones that ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Have you had a holy mount experience in your life? If not, why not? One common reason is ye have not, because ye ask not. We're not asking and asking and seeking and seeking and knocking and knocking. We're not doing that. And consequently, we're not getting. If we would pant after God, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, if we would drool in our thirst for fellowship with God, we'll find it. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm going to make a speculation. I believe that God is an equal opportunity God. When he calls to salvation, he calls all to salvation. Not everyone will take God at at his word and will receive Christ. But the offer goes out to all the world. Whosoever will can be saved. Okay? So God is an equal opportunity God. Now the Bible doesn't say what I'm about to say. But I think that Jesus, when he was ready to go up the Mount of Transfiguration, I think he put the 
invitation out to all of his 12 disciples. He didn't just single out three and say, you come and you stay. Now he might have. But I'm guessing he didn't. I'm guessing that when Jesus was ready to go up the mountain, he said, who wants to go? Where are you going, Jesus? Said the disciples. I'm going up the mountain to pray. How far are you going? I'm going all the way. Anyone want to come? And I think that nine of the disciples said, you know, my feet hurt. It's going to be dark by the time we get up there. There's other people down here that could use some help. Jesus, would it be all right if we stayed here? Jesus said, suit yourself. But then Peter and James and John said, Jesus, can we go? Could we go with you? Maybe Jesus said, now are you sure? We're talking 9,200 feet. It's going to take us eight hours to get up there. You sure you want to go? And they said, yes. These three, Peter, James, and John, the more you get to know them in scripture, the more it sounds right. Wherever you go, Jesus, we want to be there with you. Now, I'm going out on a limb here. But Peter, James, and John felt they wanted to be near him wherever he went. And they found holy ground. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Do you remember the story and how Jesus and the disciples went to their home? What was Martha busy doing? What was she doing? Say it. Cooking in the kitchen. Right? And she was grumbly. She wasn't a happy camper. Why? Because her sister Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him while she was left in the kitchen to get all the stuff ready. And she was rattling those pots and pans. I'm sure of it. And so finally she could stand it no longer. And she came out and said, Lord, bid my sister to get in here and help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, Thou art troubled about many things, but Mary hath chosen the better part. It won't be taken from her. Mary found holy ground, didn't she? Am I wrong? She chose right. There at the feet of Jesus. The secret to having a holy mount experience seems to be going the extra mile. That's what it seems to me. You want to have a holy mount experience, then you need to get ready to go the extra mile. Or you could join the other nine disciples and stick around the base camp down there. And the people will come to you with their, their demon possessed kids and you won't be able to cast those demons out. And all the people will start grumbling at you. I think the secret is to go the extra mile with Jesus. And as I understand the Bible, Abraham went the extra mile and Jacob went the extra mile and Moses went the extra mile. King David went the extra mile. Peter went the extra mile. James went the extra mile. John went the extra mile. Mary went the extra mile. Paul went the extra mile. D.L. Moody went the extra mile. You will find a holy mount when you go the extra mile. That means this, 
you will need to get up early so you can get into your prayer closet to meet with Jesus. Oh, can't we meet with Jesus down at the foot of the mountain? I'm sorry. You'll find him on the top, my friend. But it means an eight-hour climb. Well, ask Peter, James, and John what they want to do. They'll answer you. We're not sticking around here. If Jesus is up there, we're going. But it's going to be a tough climb. So what? You're going to be thirsty along the way. That's all right. You might skin your knee. Oh, pray for me. Wild horses wouldn't keep them back. And yet, how many of us Christians lollygag in bed hour after hour until the very last moment where we fall out of bed into our clothes out the door to work or school? No time for Jesus. No time in the prayer closet. If you want to have a Holy Mount experience, you must needs go the extra mile. What I have to do in order to get up early is I have to get to bed early. I knew a man and I envy this man so much. He grew up on a farm. He only ever needed. Are you ready for this? Four hours sleep. I knew the man personally back in Ottawa. And he was not a skinny little guy. He was big, the size of this pulpit. And I said, what time do you go to bed? He said, oh, it doesn't matter. After four hours, I'm awake. That's it. That's all I need. And I thought, man, Lord, can I do that? No. That was the answer I got. Oh, I have to get to bed early. You may call my home sometime at eight o'clock at night and find the pastor's gone to bed. I'll tell you, the pastor's gone to bed sometimes at seven. Crazy. But I got to get to bed early in order to get up early. Why do you do it? To meet with Jesus. Does it work? Oh, I'm telling you it works. I'm telling you, you will meet with God. You get up early, you do it right, you will meet with God. Hallelujah. Whosoever will may come. It's not limited to pastors or evangelists. It's an open invitation for all God's children. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will need to get up early to get in your prayer closet. Listen to this. You'll need to attend more church services. You'll need to come forward on more invitations. Why in the world, you say? Because it stretches your faith. That's why. You'll need to go the extra mile if you want to get on top of the holy mount. Because that is where you'll find Jesus. Let's stand to our feet for a word of prayer. Beloved, this is January. January is consecration month. The best thing you can do today is consecrate or re-consecrate your life to God. Come on the invitation. Do spiritual business. You know, you can meet with God right here at the front. Come and if you possibly can, if you're physically able, come and get on your knees. Some months ago, I got gout really bad in my left knee. Even today, I can still feel it a little. 
I was not able to bend that knee. For a guy who loves to bend his knees in the prayer closet, I had a problem. It took me a while to get down there and I'd lay on my face before God. That's the only way I could do it. Would you go the extra mile? Start today. Seek God. Be prepared for a long climb, maybe through your prayer closet. But you will meet with God. But it's up to you. Seek to make this year 2020 the year that you find God on the Holy Mount. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this marvelous experience that Peter, James, and John had. And I think the other nine could have had it too. But I suppose not everyone wants to climb a mountain. Father, I pray that every one of us here today would grow in faith and hunger and thirst to know that one true living God to walk and talk with the king every day. Lord, bless your people as we seek to find holy ground. In Jesus' name, we pray. You come, beloved, as the music plays. If God has touched your heart, it's your desire to find holy ground. Step out from where you're standing. The first step is to come. That's the first step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Would you come? The invitation won't last very long. You come if God has touched your heart. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, no one is looking around, Christians praying. Is it possible you're here today and you need the Lord Jesus? Maybe you've never heard of holy ground before. Well, you've heard of a place called heaven and one day you're going to die. And where will you be, my friend? Because it's only through Jesus that you can possibly get to heaven. In your heart of hearts, would you cry out to Jesus right now and pray? And ask the Lord Jesus to forgive your sins. Would you ask him to come into your heart and be your savior and the Lord? That means the master of your life. Would you do that? If you've just now prayed and asked the Lord to save you, come into your heart, forgive your sins. If you've just done that for the first time, would you raise your hand just so I might see anyone today? God bless you. One has raised their hand. Anyone else? Anyone else before I finish in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, with all our hearts, we thank you for all you've done for us. Every day you're giving us gifts. But the greatest gift, the Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray for every Christian here today, whether our hearts be soft and tender or hard and crusty, Lord, please make us into the kind of people that will bring you honor and glory. Father, this, is, this kind of preaching and this kind of speaking is so foreign to the way of the world. Why, they would think we're crazy to give and yield control of our lives over to you and to seek you and hunger and thirst after you because they don't know you. Lord, help us to know you so that they could see you in us. I pray for this dear one who's raised their hand. Lord, help them to know 
the joy of your salvation. Now, Father, have thine own way. Please, Heavenly Father, bless your people in every way possible and help us to be that wonderful, pure and chaste bride of Christ, to be sweet, to be loving, to follow you fully, to be obedient to your word and kind one to another and compassionate and concerned about the lost around us. Please, Father, work in us and through us a great miracle for your honor and glory and for all these things. We'll be careful to give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Please be seated. We get to worship the Lord now with our offerings, our gifts. And God has been so good to us, his offerings and gifts to us. How do you put a price tag on breath and life? A dear one we've been praying for, Brian Street. And he's only a young man in his 50s. Just a couple of months ago, he discovered that his body was full of cancer. And just the other day, he passed away peacefully. And we wonder, why? And we don't have the answer. Only God has the answer. But I'll tell you something, the gift of life That's a special gift, isn't it? The gift of salvation is even better. The word of God is so precious. We're told here, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Boy, I fear for this world, folks. I really do. We're closer now to the time of the rapture and the tribulation than ever before in earth's history. The world is is madcap. It's, it's, It's getting insane, out of control. These are the days we need to really let our light shine. The lost all around us need to see Jesus in us. As we, as we give our gifts, let's worship the Lord from our hearts. Would you kindly please take your hymn book and turn to hymn number 308. This is our hymn of, of worship today. 308. It's entitled Our Best. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll begin singing. And our ushers will help us with the offering. Brother Ronald, would you come please and lead us in prayer. Then Brother Ellie, if you'd lead us in song. Let's give thanks. Our Lord, Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the message you have. Thank you, Lord, that uh, this message, Lord, really reflects us, Lord. That there are mountains in our life, whatever it is, Lord. That uh, we will continue to seek you. One thing we know, Lord, that if we are on that mountain, on that holy ground, we are closer to you. Lord, we pray that uh, we will live our lives for you. We pray, Lord, that our life will always be yielding to what your will in our life is. Lord, as we give now our offering, we do pray that you will bless this and that we will remember that everything comes from you. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the gift of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing hymn number 308. Our best. 
Do we have that home movie ready? All right. We have another Grace Baptist Church home movie for you. Let's watch this. We are Chua family. Uh, I am Aguilar de Chua. I was born and raised in San Quintin, Pangasinan, northern part of the Philippines. We came here in Canada in, on March 2002. My name is Sally, and I was born in Santa Marcela, Apayao, Philippines. My parents, they came from the Catholic background, and when I got married in 1987, I was started attending to my white church, a local Bible-based church in Cubao, Quezon City. Metro Manila. I was told by our preacher how I can be saved. On April 1990, I was baptized by water immersion and I accepted also Jesus Christ to come into my heart as my personal Savior and my Lord. Same as my husband, my parents are Catholic and we would go to a Catholic Mass during Sundays, but one day they told us that our priest had left the town and then after that there were some missionaries that came 
and they were knocking doors and preaching the gospel. And so my family were converted into Christianity. I was converted and saved in April 8, 1982, and I was baptized in the river in my hometown. I'm so grateful for the missionaries that taken the time to share the salvation because now I have the precious gift of salvation. God is good. First, I asked I ask God to give me strength and wisdom so that I can serve Him in, in a full capacity. I would like to serve the Lord in the future by fully supporting the missionaries. Uh, maybe I can help out in distributing gospel tracts and uh, providing food for the Pacific West Baptist College students and in, in any way that the Lord would like me to, to do in the future. Man, those are good home movies. All right, Augie and Sally, would you come and join me up here, please, on the uh, platform? And uh, this is the scary part, right? Yeah. Sally and Augie have been with us for a few years now, and they're quiet, and they love the Lord. And they're very sweet, uh, gentle, wonderful people. And we've come to know them. We've been in their home and just a fellowship with them here at church. It's, uh, it's a treat to be around the people that really love the Lord and are sincere and gentle. And we uh, really appreciate you both. Come on in here a little closer. Now, I need to ask you both a question. I'm holding in my hand a copy of the Constitution and Doctrinal Statement. And, uh, Augie, have you completely read through the Constitution and Doctrinal Statement? Yes, Pastor. Did you all hear that? <laughs> a little louder, just in case. Yes, Pastor. And uh, Sally, have you uh, read through the uh, Constitution Doctrinal Statement? Yes, Pastor. All right. And do you agree to uphold both it and fellow members at the church? Yes, Pastor. Yes. All right. Well, wonderful. Well, um, we need to make a motion. Oh, I think uh, Brother Alvin got his hand up. He's quick. Keep an eye on this guy. He's quick. He got his hand up quick. And a seconder. Okay, Brother Winston. Yeah, he's quick too. Both these guys. Uh, all right. So the motion is that we receive them as uh, senior members. That doesn't mean over 65. It means that they're over 18 and they're that we call that a senior membership and that they're able to vote. And so church members only voting all in favor signify with a raise of hand. Okay. And put your hand down. Opposed if any. Opposed if any. So moved. Boy, my ear rings. <laughs> God bless you. Sally, God bless you. You've got a copy of the Constitution with your names on it and today's date. And also, I have for you a certificate of membership. And this one is for you, Augie. And it's all signed and sealed. Well, kind of sealed. All right. And Sally, this one must be for you. Come on in. We'll have a word of prayer together. Right here. Up close here with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our brother and sister, and we pray your richest blessing on them. Please use them in the days ahead to serve you. Lord, make us a blessing to them and them to us. Help us as a family to move together in the right direction. Give us always unity and love and prayer one for another. And we'll give you the praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. God bless you both. You may take your seats. And when things are all done, the last amen, we want to shake your hands. And that's called the right hand of fellowship. Well, just a, a quick... Don't go away. There we are. Um, tonight, 6 o'clock, uh, Brother Norris is going to be preaching. And so we want to invite you back. Especially if you're a voting member, you need to come and hear this man preach because you'll be voting on him. And that's tonight at six o'clock. Also want to remind you this Wednesday at seven o'clock, we're back together for our Bible uh, and prayer time. And uh, the adults, we're in the book of Revelation. And my plan is to cover chapters four and five. Boom. Like that. That's this Wednesday. Okay. This Saturday, 10 o'clock, Soul Winning and Fire Brigade. If you're interested in helping us to reach the city, uh, please come at that time or maybe a quarter to 10 or 10 to 10, something like that. And um, if you've never knocked the doors with us, you can be part of the fire brigade. The fire brigade puts these gospel tracts in mailboxes and it's a very important seed sowing ministry. You can do that with us this Saturday. Uh, One week today, we have another missionary with us, missionary Michael Self, missionary to India. And you won't want to miss that. And a week this Tuesday, the Bible College, Pacific West Baptist College, starts up again for the spring semester. Wow. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, I think that's all of the announcements. Brother Norris, we're going to dismiss you if you would go and stand by your display. And uh, please make sure that you go by and that you look at the display, pick up a prayer card and talk to him in Portuguese. You know, all that. All right, get to know them. Let's all stand, please, and we'll have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Augie, Sally, would you meet me at the back door, please? Brother Ellie, would you help us and lead us in prayer? Let's all pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for this morning, for allowing us to hear your word. Thank you for bringing us the topic of holy ground and how can we experience it even in our own lives, Lord. I was just thinking, Lord, about when I listening to the message. Although the pastor has already mentioned the reasons why we're missing to have that holy ground experience. It might be possible, Lord, that many of us here are really longing for this experience. I pray, Lord, that every one of us would have the desire in our hearts to look up to you, Lord, and commit ourselves to you and be closer to you in our walk. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our faith and help us, Lord, to grow and have the desire to know you more, Lord. Father, I pray that you would bless your people, and as we part our ways, may your heads of protection be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.